Welcome to the Park Road Talkback Podcast for September 25th, 2020. Today's podcast is a conversation with Amy Jack Steen and Russ Steen, co-pastors at Park Road Baptist Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. I'm Bruce Holliday, Director of Communications at Park Road, and today we will be having a conversation about a joint sermon, a couple of homilies that Russ and Amy shared this past Sunday. Russ's was entitled, Sustainability, a Test of Faith, and Amy's was called, A Journey That's Not Fair. A quick reminder, if you've not heard the sermons yet, you can find it at the Park Road website, parkroadbaptist.org, under the Resources tab. Good morning, Russ. Good morning, Amy. How are you all today? We're well, Bruce. Good to talk to you. Good morning. Yeah, so this week, I know that I had quite a reaction to the two homilies that you offered, and uh, I think, Russ, you said that uh, you got quite a bit of feedback on these. Can you tell us a little bit about what people were saying? Well, um, I'm not sure exactly why this spoke to folks, but um, something about the uh, the the word prophetic was used a couple of times, and I think those texts that really kind of challenge us um, make us uncomfortable a little bit. And um, to be to to have a pastor be willing to talk about sustainability and consumption and fairness and all those kind of things that 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 imply uh, their way into our lives with politics and you know what we spend at the grocery store and how much we spend on our house and you know all of that kind of stuff I think just just touches people and we're in a kind of place where people um, kind of expect that so we don't get we don't get uh, a lot of pushback like I think uh, you would get in some churches um, but I think something about that prophetic nature of um, uh, these two texts that we use to kind of challenge some some things about our current culture is, is what people how people respond I was gonna say we got a text from somebody that it from our church, but listens to us every week um, later after after we post it. And he commented, it's great stuff because these were wonderful new takes. And I think people just hadn't heard the manna story or the labors in the vine- vineyard story in a context of sustainability before. You know, we think we know right. what, the, what the parable is about and don't try to think of it in new ways sometimes. So let's put this in context for the listeners. Um, Russ, you were speaking from uh, some text out of Exodus, and Amy, you were speaking the parable of the vineyard. Can you give us just a brief brief overview of those two, and then we'll, we'll talk about them in a little bit more detail. Yeah, we're following along. Uh, Amy and I are both preaching uh, each Sunday this summer, and uh, I'm using the, the Old Testament this text fall. from this fall, excuse me. <laughs> <laughs> this fall, um, I'm using the Old Testament text from the lectionary. Amy is using the gospel text, and the Old Testament texts are following along the exodus of the people, the, the ancient Israelites, um, when Moses leads them out of uh, out of Egypt in in their bondage. And so we're following along. And the story this past week was the story of the manna. Um, and the people are in the wilderness, and they're hungry, and they're complaining to Moses. That's a kind of constant theme throughout this. They come to, to Moses 
churches and they're complaining. This Sunday, they're complaining because they have no water. They're always complaining. And so um, the, the text says, so go, Moses goes to God and God says, okay, I'll feed you. And this is, this is the deal. Um, uh, each morning, you will go, the people will go out and there will be manna on the ground. Manna is actually a Hebrew word that means, what is this? It's kind of a, a made up word. What's this stuff here? And that's where that, that's the word translated that we use manna. And so there's this what's it on the ground and they're able to use that as a kind of bread and um, have something to eat. And then in the evenings, there's some kind of bird on the ground. Um, the, the, the scholars say they don't know exactly what that is, but it's it, it's usually translated quail. And so they, they go out and they have quail. So they have meat in the evening. And so um, that's that's the story. God provides the food. But God says, you can only take what you can eat for one day. Now, what we don't learn in the text that I use for Sunday, if you read the story on, some of the people started hoarding some and they would take more than they needed. God said on on the seventh, on the sixth day, you can get enough for the sixth and the seventh day. So you don't have to gather on the Sabbath. And so God is protecting that uh, rhythm of the week established in creation. Um, but um Later in the story, um, the people began hoarding and they take more than they need and they find that the food will only last one day and it spoils when they try to take more. So this is a story about how much is enough. God gives us enough for the day. And I use several times um, a, a line from the Lord's Prayer. Jesus taught us to pray, give us this day our daily bread. And are we are we in our lives looking for daily bread? Are we working for enough to sustain us, or are we uh, are we always wanting more? Um, and so, that, in that regard, it's a story of sustainability. How much is there to sustain us? Right. And Amy, when you speak of the parable of the vineyards, how does that? in your mind, relate to the text from Exodus? Yeah, it's been an interesting thing to try to, you know, you don't usually, we're, the the sermon series is journeying with Moses, journeying with Jesus. So I'm trying, Russ kind of goes first um, each week in planning. And then I look at a text and try to make it speak to this other text. Cause I mean, you can preach from each text of, thousand different ways so right, yeah. it's been a little bit of an interesting process to see how because these are paired up in the lectionary so they have some somebody has already made these texts work together or they wouldn't have been paired together on the committee of lectionary um and so i'm trying to make these texts talk to each other i guess um the laborers in the vineyard is a text that everybody hates it's a terrible business model <laughs> it will not work and americans especially hate it but um, it ended up pairing very well uh, when we got into it. But the story goes that uh, the vineyard owner needed laborers in his vineyard. And so he goes out to the people that are waiting to be hired and he takes some early in the morning and then he goes back and gets more and goes back and gets more. And then at five o'clock, he goes back and says, oh, you're still not working. And they're like, no, I still want to work. And so he takes them. And at the end of the day, he had promised them what he would pay. And so at the end of the day, he paid the same amount to everybody, even the ones that worked all day, got the same amount as those that worked an hour. And he started by paying the the last workers, the five o'clock workers first. So the first will be last, mm -hmm. the last will be first. And um, so they, people don't like that because it's not fair. 
And right. um, I, I did say it's obviously, you know, not a sustainable model, but if we could dig a little bit deeper into this, we, we might could recognize um, that this, uh, this scene is played out every day across our country in uh, I was particularly thinking about farm workers, migrant workers, right. um, that scene of people waiting to be hired, a willingness to work, and then, uh, and still, there was one quote I, of a story I had shared about the guy who found, did, found the, didn't find, he found the irony maddening that here his job is to provide food for people and he doesn't make enough to provide enough food for his family. Right. Yeah. So, kind of so both of you, during these 30 minutes of the, the two homilies together, do you, I don't, threatened is the wrong word, but I mean, you really took to task some fundamental um, truths that I think in, in our culture. One is uh, if you should be, um, Preparing yourself, you should be collecting um, and saving for a rainy day mm. on one one yep. hand. And then, Amy, you were kind of threatening the whole idea of if you work and are productive, then you will be rewarded uh, in, in, a, in a greater way than people who are not as industrious as you are. And so mm. both of those things were challenged during the course of these homilies. And, and I was wondering... How do you reconcile what you, your message during these homilies with the way our culture works currently? Or, or can, they, can they be reconciled? I think it's so interesting. I, I didn't hear either of these as that kind of challenge. So that's interesting <laughs> because it, it's, so, it's such an irony for me in the, the laborers in the vineyard story. We get so bent out of shape about it and have an inability to um, celebrate the landowner's generosity. I mean, we, well, it's just as you said; it, it just doesn't feel fair. I right. mean, there's there's a very strong sense of of fairness, or at least in my life, there's been a strong sense what? of fairness and discussion about that. And and what you were talking about in the parable of the vineyard just is not quote-unquote fair. fair. But it's generous beyond measure. And so mm -hmm. we we would rather have fair than generous is essential. Because I was so helped by the blogger that wrote about this who said, if you read this story, if you read this parable, and, and you're thinking about yourself, you're putting yourself in the picture, and you know, then it's about fairness. If you're reading this story on behalf of wanting everybody to be ahead, wanting everybody to get more than enough. If, you, if you're reading the story on behalf of another, then it's a story of celebration. But our complete inability to do that really speaks to the core of what's most important, me. Right. Well, yeah. I, think that I, I think both of these kind of hinge on the difference in fairness and justice. And, um, right. you know, I... I this story of, of the laborers in the field is not fair, um, but Jesus isn't trying isn't trying to to share a picture of fairness. He's trying to share a picture of God's justice, 
um, which is not just an eye for an eye, you know, do the crime, serve the time, you know, you get what you earn, you know, it, uh, there, there's something different about God's justice. I remember I used to do uh, once a year, the rabbi would bring his, um, his, his high school students for their confirmation class and let me talk to them about Christianity. And um, I'd often have interesting, better conversations with the adults, uh, chaperones in the room than with the kids, of course. Um, and I remember one time something I had said as we were leaving, the rabbi, who was a friend of mine, um, really pushed back. And, you know, this this I don't I hadn't talked about deathbed conversions, but I had said something about grace um, and he really pushed back. And, and for him, this idea that Christians talk about deathbed conversions, you know, that you can live like right. hell all your life. You know, you can cheat <laughs> people and do all, you know, do, and live however you want to live. And if on your deathbed, you, you know, you ask God for forgiveness, then you get to go to heaven. Well, that just didn't work for him. And I said, you know, I understand that. Um, and that is how we think about it. But, you know, I really want to believe in a God whose grace is that big. Um, and I think there is a difference in fairness and justice. Um, and Jesus isn't trying to, to pose a business model here. Amy pointed out in her sermon, obviously, this is a business model that wouldn't work because as soon as the laborers realize you're going to get the same thing for working one hour as for 12 hours, well, obviously, you're not going to show up until five o'clock. You know, they're going to game the system too. So Jesus isn't isn't pointing out a isn't trying to posit a business model for us. He's trying to challenge us to think about uh, about how much justice there is in our system, um, and can we find ways to to help everyone to be sustainable? And can we bring a sense of justice? into our system, not just a sense of, you know, eye for eye, you know, you worked one hour, you ought to just get paid one hour, you know, that kind of legalism. And I think Jesus is always pushing against that. Um, and, you know, going back to the story of the manna, God, you know, the story is God will provide, but God will provide enough. Um, and if we all took just what we needed, there would be enough for everyone. Um, and so it, it gets into this idea of selfishness and is my hoarding keeping you from having enough? And so it, it rankles our feathers. You know, it, it, uh, it, it doesn't sit well with those of us raised in kind of the Protestant work ethic where we're supposed to go out there and earn our keep and, you know, take care of ourselves and, and um, provide for our families and even in the future. And, you know, so I, I kind of think that's the point. That is that it just creates some tension here for us to think. I don't know how much is enough. Um, I don't know how much is enough for me and enough for you. Um, but I think these stories help us to um, they push back a little bit. We certainly all have more than enough. Um, right. Most of the people who are listening to us preach, we have more than enough. And if we can get people to think about, oh, maybe I don't need. A bigger house. You know, maybe the one I have is enough. Maybe I could use some of my gifts for helping someone else, you know, the, the, the little guy out there, you know. Um, and so that right. that's the challenge. Um, How do we get past the fear? So for me personally, it's like, what if, if I, if I give it all away and I, I live more of a kind of day-to-day -day existence and just trust that things will work out, 
Uh, what if they don't? So I, I, I can imagine as people are listening to you talk about, give us this day our daily bread, um, they're thinking, oh, I don't, I don't know if that'll work for me. How, how do we get to that point where people are comfortable with that kind of approach to life? It's interesting um, when you phrase it in terms of fear. So, so people are afraid of idealism. Yes. And they don't really want to hear about idea. That's just idealistic. And when people say it, they say it with such a negative tone. Like, <laughs> why do they do that? I don't understand why, why we put down idealism. Is that, I mean, doesn't that motivate us to do better? I mean, okay, let's say we never reach that level of idealism. Um, and, you know, we, the sell all you have and give it to the poor. Jesus did not say that to every person. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe he said it to the person for whom uh, everything they had was keeping them from living a full life. Maybe they needed to sell everything they had because it was hindering them from fullness. You know, there are plenty of people that have way more than enough and are hugely generous and so it, it, it does seem to me that Jesus didn't say the exact same thing to every single person. But I'm just very curious why people are so um, reluctant toward being idealistic. What has jaded us so that... And, and Bruce, I think your word, your question about fear really, really hits at the heart of it. And, you know, the, this story um, of, of the manna says, if you will trust God... God will provide enough. Um, And the people who started trying to hoard, they found out they they couldn't hoard it. It rotted in their hands. They couldn't eat it if they took too much. Um, And that's the challenge of faith um, is is to put aside our fears. Um, And again, we all have to work this out in in our day-to-day life. But but trying trying to put aside our fears that, oh, I don't have enough, because once you get in that mindset, you never have enough. And OK, well, if I have a million dollars put aside for retirement, well, that may not be enough. I, I need a million and a half. And uh, if I get a well, that may not be enough because, you know, what might happen? And, you know, we just live with this great, great fear that we never have enough. Never, never, never. Um, and I think that's what these stories are pushing back against. Um, and I think it's important to say it's not like Russ and I have arrived I mean, we have a financial advisor and we sit with him a couple of times a year and we say, do we have enough? I mean, mm-hmm. picturing retirement, and I don't want to live better than I live now in retirement, but can we, are we still going to be able to travel when we retire? Or do we have enough money? I mean, I don't want to paint it like Russ and I are the real Jesus and live in the Jesus life and we don't have any, you know. But I think the way I think the way that we wrestle with these questions does impact our thinking about yes. spending and saving and tithing, and I think I think that's what faith is supposed to do. Um, and, and and you know we're gonna we're gonna all answer these questions in some different ways. Jesus is never going to stop challenging us. You know whether you make fifty thousand dollars a year or five hundred thousand dollars a year. I think Jesus is going to challenge us. Do you have enough? Do you have too much? Um, uh, in, in the sermon, I, I 
quoted Paul, who uh, uh, talking to the church in Corinth, he's he's preaching a stewardship sermon basically to the church in Corinth, and he goes back to this story, alludes to the story, and he says, "The one who had much did not have too much, and the one who had little did not have too little." Um, and I just alluded at the end of the story that any time I preach about stuff like this, somebody is likely to, to, to challenge me about socialism. They love that word. Right. There are a few folks that yep. love to challenge me about you're preaching socialism. No, I'm not preaching socialism. And the Bible doesn't, I, I, I'm not saying the Bible is preaching socialism. I love that Paul says the ones who had much, acknowledging that some people have much, but they didn't have too much. But everybody had enough. The ones who had little didn't have too little. And I think that even in a capitalistic society, we can do better than we are doing. The growing right. income inequality is just despicable. Staggering. It's staggering. Yeah. And it is going yeah. to destroy this society if it continues continues to grow. And, you know, the numbers during the, the, the pandemic – you know, Jeff Bezos, the richest man in the world, is making something like $13 billion a day. And, you know, 30 million people are out of work. And, you know, my capitalist friends who are listening to this will go, well, that's capitalism. Well, <laughs> do you think Jesus would be satisfied with that? We're just yeah. going to write that off as that's just capitalism. And so those people can go hungry while Jeff Bezos makes $13 billion a day. And, and that's not from working. That's just from his money growing, you know. Yeah, right. that, that's that's wealth without work. So I just think the that's fair. That is fair, but it's not just. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a. Great or else reason. we need to redefine fairness. I mean, I'm not yeah. sure that that doesn't feel fair to me. Well, I, I, well, I, I'm, well, I'm I was speaking on behalf of people that. Yeah, but I'm right. willing to define it that way, Bruce. I'm willing to say, okay, that in the way that we have parsed out capitalism, that is fair because his money is in the market and it's invested. And, you know, that that's how the market works. And so, okay, he's making $13 billion a day. That's just the math. You know, that's fair. That's the way it works. And so I'd, I'm willing to say in our system, that's fair. But I don't think Jesus would be satisfied with that. I don't think right. Jesus would let us rest with that. I don't think that is justice for people who are hungry for one man to be, you know, increasing his wealth $13 billion a day, you know, crazy. Right. When we talk about changing things in our society, in our world, and, and viewing them differently, we we very often turn to the younger generation and, and, and ask them either directly or indirectly for a different perspective to help us find a way, a better path forward. And so I know that the two of you have uh, a son, Bennett, who's a senior at Furman University, go Paladins, and, um, <laughs> and uh, which is a, is a hard thing for a Davidson graduate to say. Right? <laughs> yeah. I have to admit, I'm very impressed. And, uh, but anyway, uh, you referenced Bennett during the course of, uh, you did, uh, Amy, I believe, during the course of the homily, and his reaction to what you were talking about and his perspective, which, which was very interesting. Could you, could you share that with us? Yeah, there was a, um, a the, one of the first commentaries that Russ read uh, on this text mentioned that the both the manna story and the labors in the vineyard were really uh, lessons in sustainability. 
And so mm-hmm. Russ took that uh, that paragraph from that commentary and texted Bennett and said, uh, he's a sustainability science major and, and he's a, he's a double major music major and sustainability science. And I think everybody at church only sees him as a trumpet player and a musician and sometimes don't even realize this other world that he's living in where he's going to make a living. We hope, um, (laughs) if he gets a job, but, um, anyway, Russ sent it to him and said, fascinating, uh, take on these two texts for Sunday. They really kind of intersect your world. Would love to have your thoughts about it. And he wrote back, it was such a great parental moment to think maybe we're getting our money's worth out of Furman because he, he didn't answer it like spitting back a textbook answer. He, you could tell he had integrated what he's learned in multiple different classes. uh, And, and said, this is 100% a sustainability issue. It, it is all about consumption. And so both the the laborers in the vineyard and the manna story really did speak to this consumption idea that um, is directly related to how do we maintain a sustainable future. And, and a lot of people, when you say we have a son that's a sustainability science major, they don't know what that is. And they just think it's recycling. And he, he said recycling they call um, weak sustainability. That's right. it's such low hanging fruit that it's so much bigger. And it, sustainability is really the so, sociological um, aspect of environmental science, not the science part, but the the people part. So it's everything right. from when you educate women around the world, it makes for a more sustainable culture, you know, when everyone has access to clean water, there's a more sustainable environment. So it's, it's such a big topic. And he really was able to point out to us how consumption is one of the leading issues in, in his class was sustainability. He also took a class, um, sustainability and religion. And he said, we would have absolutely loved that class. But this was the very kind of thing they did. Take a text, look at it in light of sustainability. Hmm. And Russ, you uh, kind of on the same topic, you you referenced Walter Brueggemann's uh, Liturgy of Abundance and the myth of scarcity, which I think is is kind of what uh, Bennett was getting at, that, um, that the consumption we can overconsume because we think we need to, when in fact... That's just a myth. Could you could you kind of follow up on what you were referencing there? Yeah, Walter Brueggemann is one of the great Old Testament scholars in the world. And this this uh, essay he wrote uh, several years ago called The Liturgy of Abundance and the Myth of Scarcity is one that's been read and shared many, many times. And he says, in the, in the creation narrative, God creates a world that is fertile and abundant and God blesses it, be fruitful and multiply. And that's how we begin. And we see the world growing and multiplying. We see that liturgy of abundance until we get to Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh has a dream of famine. And uh, that's where that's where the problems come in. Uh, and, and the um, but because of famine, the Israelites come um, and they end up um, uh 
bartering themselves into slavery, basically, um, because they, they have they have nothing to give for food, um, and so they they wind up in slavery. Um, and so, in terms of the biblical narrative, that's where that's how Brueggemann uses that. But again, Bruce, I think this goes back to your question about fear, the myth of mm-hmm. scarcity. And Brueggemann says we live with this, and especially in U.S. culture, we we live with this fear that there is not enough. Um, and um, I, I was going to give a, a, a quote here. Brueggemann uh, says the majority of the world's resources pour into the U.S. Money is becoming a kind of narcotic. We hardly notice our own prosperity or the poverty of so many others. Um, and so. Brueggemann is is trying to help us to recognize that we live with this fear that we won't have enough. And so everybody is trying to hoard and trying to put aside and trying to to get all that they can get. And it is that consumption that is driving us all crazy. Um, It's interesting. I just pulled up the email, that conversation that we had with Bennett, and he wrote in all uppercase consumption is the biggest driver of climate change and is so deeply rooted in developed countries that the paradigm shift we need feels nearly impossible, which I think speaks to that idealism we were talking about a while ago. And he, he goes on to say overconsumption is largely, largely due to greed, but a lot of it is based on every business aiming for economic growth, no matter the cost. Right. He said that's there's no one answer to the question that's going to fix everything. But I think on the small scale, involvement in community building and good governance are the kinds of things that will lead to policy changes. And that is ultimately the way to start fixing the larger systemic issues. Um, so it's just interesting right. to listen to your almost 22 <laughs> year old kind of see the world in a different way. And but and it's hopeful. I yeah. mean, there's a, there's a great deal of hope in that. Yeah. But I will hasten, he started the email back to us. I'm so glad I chose this major. And, but that's the first time I've really heard him say it like that because when he comes home every now and then, which is not often enough, when he comes home <laughs> and we're talking about his classes, it, I always say, Bennett, it's saying it, it seems so hopeless. And he said, it really is a pretty depressing major because what he Hmm. sees is the possibility for change and an unwillingness of the people to do it. You know, on that point, there was a line uh, from you, Russ, I'm not sure it was you or Walter Brueggemann, uh, which was, it is a simple failure of Christian intellect and imagination not to be able to envision a different way in our system to a better world. We cannot imagine peace and prosperity for all. Help us imagine a better way. And I th- I, that really struck me. It's just like, uh, it just felt to me that if we could look at the world in a different way, perhaps these things wouldn't feel so um, we wouldn't be afraid or we wouldn't think things were unfair or we could just find our way forward. Yeah. And, and I was I was when I wrote that line, I was thinking about the people who have on multiple occasions accused me of sort of preaching socialism. It's like, no, I'm not preaching socialism. I'm talking about we can find a way if we would be more creative, if we would be more daring, if we would be willing to change some things, we could find a way within our own system um, 
to, to provide more prosperity for more people. And again, I'm not talking about uh, taking rich people's money and just spreading it out to the poor. You know, Paul says the one who had much did not have too much. And the one who had little did not have too little. There's going to be a difference in what people have. Now, I'm not talking about, you know, some kind of communism to try to spread out the money evenly. Um, we can find a way if we had more creativity, if we weren't so, af so afraid, if we weren't so selfish about thinking this is mine and get your hands off of it. Uh, and, and I feel that a lot in our society, um, that, you know, what's mine is mine and get your grubby little hands off of it. Don't, you know, you know. Um, so are we willing to think about a social contract and the betterment of the whole, or are we just going to continue to build our system in a way that can benefit you if you happen to be lucky enough to get it to work for you? And, you know, some people do, but a lot of people don't, um. So, Russ, you just asked the question, and we'll finish up with this. We'll we'll throw a big one at you. It's um, can we find a better way? And I just as curious, the perspective of each of you individually, where you think uh, the world is going, and how Christianity uh, will play into those possible changes in the future. How's that for a huge question? That's a huge question. <laughs> I, I'll start and then let Amy have the last word. Um, I think we can find a better way, Bruce. And, and uh, to me, that is the point of faith. It is to give us hope. It is to give us a different way to think about the world. And the reason that I preach you know, these kinds of sermons the way I do, I think there is a better way for us to see the world. It's interesting, somebody from our family had listened to the sermon and said, well, that's interesting. I never thought about that text, the manna text like that. You know, this person had only thought about the manna text as a miracle. You know, this, look what God did. And I said right. in the sermon, um, you know, I'm 56 years old and I've been you know, attentive to the work and the, the, the way and the work of God all my life. There have been a lot of hungry people in 56 years, and God has never provided manna before. Maybe this story isn't a literal story. Maybe this is a metaphor for us to understand. It has something to do with learning how to create a sustainable society. Um, and maybe we need to be able to hear the stories differently and, and think differently. I was also thinking about a comment that I made, a book that, that a church member had given me uh, about a guy who who's a futurist, and he's talking about space travel and all. And he says, he, he talks about this issue of fear, that there's this great fear that we're going to run out of oil, you know. And he says running out of oil is going to be a great thing because as soon as we mm -hmm. run out of oil, we're going to realize there's another way, a better way to do things. And um, right. people are so afraid. And he says, of course, there is a literal um, scarcity of oil. There is a limit to oil. But there is not a limit to human creativity and human capacity and imagination to, to do something different. And we've got to learn to live into that liturgy of abundance. There is enough around. There is enough. We've just got to learn to be daring enough um, to find a way for people to, for people to share in that. Uh, I guess I was just sitting here thinking, I really found myself hopeful just in my conver our conversation with Bennett mm -hmm. um, that there are some people, not just young people, I mean, 
people have been doing this for a long time, but there are people who are really thinking about and working on ways to to challenge the way we've always done it and that will make us a better people. And I, you know, I, I can't change the world, but okay, we've given the world somebody that cares about this and we've given the, Russ and I have given the world somebody that is committed to this and we've given the world somebody that challenges me to think differently about how, how much I drive and how much I buy and how much I, you know, so I can change at 54 because my 22 year old challenges me to change. And so I, I think we need to be open to that. It, but if you want everything to just, if you want it to everything to stay the same and get worse, well then don't change. But if we could change and, you know, I, I there are a lot of Bennett's out there doing this kind of work. So I found some hope in that. Um, and for me personally, I find a lot of hope in uh, the church that uh, you're building together at Park Road to have conversations like this, to deal with the topic, uh, to bring the uh, the text into um, kind of modern context and extreme relevancy. I, I think that's just a, a blessing for all of us. So thank you for for speaking to these issues and 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 uh, dealing with these hard topics yeah. in such a in a positive and productive way. Thanks. Well, that that's a good final word, Bruce. Thank you for um, the affirmation of church and what we're trying to do in the community. Yeah. That 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 is there is hope there. So exactly. Well, that'll do it for this week. Thank you very much, Russ. Thank you, Amy, and of course, thank you to all our listeners. We invite you to share this podcast with your friends and family. They can always find it on the Park Road website, or you can listen and subscribe to the podcast via iTunes, Stitcher, or TuneIn. That's it for this week. From all of us at Park Road Baptist Church, thank you for listening today. Grace and peace to you.